Well, tonight, as we've mentioned over the last week or so, we're starting a new uh, sermon series. And Pastor John and Donna are in Calgary this weekend attending the wedding of their niece. And so Pastor John really regrets not being able to be with us in person as we start this new teaching called Small Book, Big Ideas, Knowing What We Need to Know. And so he asked me to introduce the series uh, to us today. About six weeks ago, Pastor John called Pastor Yasmin and I together um, for a meeting. And we began to pray. We began to discuss what the Lord would have us study together this fall as a church. Um, what was it that God wanted us to look at in Scripture? Um, we always like to either pick a book or have a series of messages that kind of relate together. And uh, we threw all kinds of ideas around. And I think there were many solid ideas that were thrown around. But after all of our meetings and did Pastor John asked us to really just continue to think about it some more, but more than anything, continue to pray about it. And uh, the Lord will lead us. And he wanted to pray as well. And so he finally came back to us and said that he's been thinking a lot about what he's preached in this church over the last 19 years. And as he thought about that, he recalls preaching through certain sections of the Old Testament um, and uh, he, he recalls uh, studying some New Testament books written by Mark and Luke and Peter and James and Jude and lots that were written by the Apostle Paul. Anyone remember Romans? Anyone know that book around here, right? Uh, Ephesians, anyone? Right? Yeah. Spent some time there. Um, I, I was actually here when that was going on. Um, and then he said, but I think I've missed preaching from a very serious contributor of the New Testament. A contributor who wrote five of the New Testament books, and he said that he felt it was time for us to hear from the perspective of the disciple John, also known as John the Apostle. And so today we begin a teaching series on the book of 1 John. Now let me read to you the first three verses of 1 John. I'm going to read these from the English Standard Version, and uh, they should be up on the screen. But uh, this is how the Apostle John introduces the book. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was also made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so what John is saying is that he knows what he's talking about when he writes this letter. Because he heard this stuff with his own ears, saw it with his own eyes. He touched Jesus with his own hands. This isn't some second account. He didn't get this from taking a course or by, you know, buying like some Coles Notes version of, you know, what Jesus talked about when he was on the earth. But this is literally first-hand account that he's giving to us. And so in just a moment, I invite you to listen into an introductory video as we begin to explore together the book of 1 John. And when this video is over, Pastor Yasmin will come and give us a practical way in which we can respond to this this evening. And so, without further delay, I'm just going to turn your attention to the screens and uh, introducing 1 John to us. My brother's name was James. 
James and I lived in a little town called Capernaum, just off the Sea of Galilee. We owned a fishing business. Actually, we had a couple partners in our fishing business. Their names were Peter and Andrew. The four of us were in a fishing business together and uh, just loved, loved Capernaum, loved what we were doing. My dad's name was Zebedee. Zebedee. My mom's name was Salome. Zebedee, my dad was a fisherman too, so there was a lot of fishing going on in our family. One day, dad and my brother James and I were on the seashore and we were mending our nets. Lots of nets to mending, mend when you're in a fishing business. And a guy named Jesus came along. We'd all been talking about Jesus. Jesus was kind of the conversation of the whole area. He'd been baptized by John the Baptizer a little while, a bit before, and when he was baptized, <laughs> something happened that had never happened at a baptismal service before. Uh, a dove came and descended on Jesus and then there was this loud voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, it wasn't ordinary and everybody was talking about it and now Jesus came and he said to my brother and I, come, come follow me. We were young, we're in our mid-twenties. Kind of exciting to be a part of whatever this Jesus guy was about. We were open for some adventure. So, just like that, we left dad, left my mom, Salome, and left our fishing business to follow Jesus. We're surprised when we began to follow him that he'd asked our two business partners, Peter and Andrew, to follow him too. We said yes, and then. Then Jesus, never knew what Jesus was going to do. He disappeared for 40 days. Follow me, and he disappears. And he goes into the wilderness, and he fasts, and he prays for 40 days. After he fasted and prayed for 40 days, he was so skinny. Wow, was he skinny. And then he took, and I, I can't remember if this was a couple of days later or or maybe a week later, but he, he went, went up on the mount and, and he began to talk and, and the crowds got so big and were listening to what he had to say. He said, uh, you, you're the salt of the earth. You, you're the light of the world. I'll never forget those words. But it wasn't so much what Jesus said, but but what he did that amazed us so much, we were following Jesus. And what a journey it was. What a journey it was. Jesus uh, changed my life. I, I saw so much with my, my own eyes. I heard so much with my, my own ears. I touched him with my own hands and, and I was completely changed my, my dad Zeb Zebedee was he had a nickname called Thunder <laughs> he kind of kind of flew off the handle pretty easy and 
it kind of rubbed off on James and I. Our nickname was Thunder Sons because we were pretty quick to lose it at times. And then I experienced firsthand the unconditional love of Jesus and everything began to change in my heart and in my life. And, and I'm pretty old now and I'm not the same guy I was before I met Jesus. He's made me a lot kinder and a lot gentler. I used to hold grudges. You wouldn't believe how I could hold grudges. And now uh, I find it easy to forgive. Jesus really, really changed me. So after Jesus preached this sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he took us on a boat. There was lots of boat riding with Jesus, always going somewhere on the boat. We were going over to the other side, and this, this terrible storm came up, as bad a storm as I'd ever seen on the Sea of Galilee. And we were used to storms on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, we were fishermen. We were out on the water all the time. But this was a terrible one. And all of us who were on the boat, all of us disciples, by now there were 12 of us, we were all so afraid, didn't know what to do. And we looked back, and Jesus was sound asleep. Nothing seemed to scare him. <laughs> Nothing seemed to scare him. We went and shook him and, and told him to wake up, wake up, we're in the middle of a storm. And he just stood up and said, waves settle down, waves stop rolling like that, wind cease. And the wind stopped blowing and the waves went down and Jesus went back and sat down on the boat as if nothing had happened. And we looked at each other and we said, what kind of a guy is this? What manner of man is this? Huh. Got to the other side of the lake, and we were in a region called the Gadarenes. And, and most people didn't go to the region called the Gadarenes because there were two men there who lived amongst the tombs, and they scared everybody so bad, they just stayed away. These two men were were filled with demons and Jesus saw them and Jesus uh, looked at them and the demon possessed man looked back at Jesus and then the demons that were inside of them began to scream out, what have you got to do with us, thou son of God? What have you got to do with us, thou son of God? And then they asked uh, if they had to be cast out of these men that Jesus would cast them into the pigs. So Jesus took authority over these demons and cast them into the pigs. And these pigs, lots of pigs, not just a couple of pigs, lots and lots and lots of pigs went running as fast as they could with these demons inside them, jumped over the cliff and landed in the Sea of Galilee. Boy, there was one unhappy farmer that day. Thought about that. Day quite a bit as the years went on. We looked at Jesus and we said as followers, uh, what kind of a guy is this? And the demons are saying, what have you got to do with us, son of God? We say, what kind of man is this? And the demons say, uh, what kind of, uh, what, what do you got to do with us? 
Oh, son of God. Hmm. Amazing. A few months later, we were in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked another question. He, he asked, uh, what's everybody saying about me? Who are they saying I am? And, and some said, well, you're Elijah. And some are saying, you're, you're John the Baptist coming back. Others said, you're a great teacher, a great prophet. And Jesus asked the question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter always had something to say. He could always count on Peter to keep the conversation going. Peter says, uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Over time, we were really getting to understand who, who Jesus was. Beginning, what kind of guy is this? And then the demons seemed to understand. And now Peter's beginning to understand. Jesus, and I, and I don't know why this happened. I guess it was just Jesus's plan. He seemed to take a lighting, uh, liking to to my brother James and, and Peter and me, and, and he'd take us off the places the other disciples didn't get to go on. And one, one day he said, come, come with me, I'm just, we're just gonna go up to the top of the mountain. He went up to the top of the mountain, and when we're on the top of the mountain, all of a sudden Jesus turned bright, shiny, light, full of light, full of white. It was the strangest thing. Shiny, bright, white. And then there was a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What a story. And I, and I was there for all of it. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. I, I, I got to touch Jesus with my, my own hands. There for all of it, firsthand witness heard the words of his baptism heard the demons crying out heard peter's words heard the heavenly father say thou art the christ the son of the living god and then there was those terrible days at the cross i was the only disciple there Judas had killed himself. The other 10 didn't come to, to the cross. I, I won't get into that. That's their story to tell. But I was the only one there. And Jesus looked down from the cross and, and he said um, to me and to Mary, his mom, he said, uh, Mary, behold your son. And he pointed at me. And then he looked at me and he said, son, behold your mom. And for the rest of Mary's life, I, I looked after her. I looked after Jesus's mom. After he'd said uh, on the cross, to me, look after Mary. He said, I thirst. 
And then the very last words he said from the cross were, it is finished. And he bowed his head, just like that, died. <laughs> I, was, I was broken. My heart was broken. Couldn't believe what happened when Jesus said it is finished. There was an earthquake. Rocks split in half in Jerusalem, just poof. The veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. That had to be God doing something because if we, some man had tried to do it, it would have started at the bottom, started at the top, ripped from the top to the bottom. And then all of a sudden, the tombs began to open throughout Jerusalem. And people who had been dead for years started walking around the city, finding their relatives, coming in for supper. It was wild in Jerusalem. Saw all of it. Saw all of it. And yet I was saddened, very saddened, because Jesus was gone. Jesus was dead. All these dead people were alive, but Jesus was buried. And then three days later, the two Marys, that's what we called them, the two Marys. That's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. The two Marys is what we call them, are out for a walk. And Jesus is walking beside them and says, Hi. I thought he would have said something more spiritual than that. He just said hi to them. And he said, uh, go and tell the disciples I'm, I'm alive. And Jesus spent the next 40 days eating with us and teaching us more from the scriptures. We had some fun together, ate some fish together. Great, great 40 days. And then on the 40th day, an angel came and was with us and Jesus just began to go up into the sky on some invisible elevator. And the angel said, don't, don't be afraid about this. Don't be concerned about this. He's leaving you, but he's coming back. He's coming back. And to think, I saw all of that. I saw all of that. I'm an old man now. I spent 40 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, leading the church in Jerusalem. What a privilege that was, 40 years pastoring, leading, serving in the church in Jerusalem. And then I went to Ephesus for 25 years. I'm an old man, I, I don't have too much time left, I'm sure. I'm the only disciple still living. They're all gone now. They're all gone now. James, my brother, was killed with a sword by King Herod for daring to stand up for the truth. Peter, they tell me, was crucified on a cross. I, I wasn't there, but people I trust tell me he was hung on a cross upside down. Didn't want to be hung on a cross like Jesus. He says, I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus did. 
Andrew, her other business partner, was crucified on a cross in a city in Greece. They're all gone now. And I'm the only one left. The only one left. And I thought I, I should take some time and, and I actually wrote it down here in this, in, the, in this book to let you know what, what I learned from being with Jesus. I saw so much with my own eyes. I heard so much with my own ears. I, I touched him with my own hands. I, I know what happened and I thought I needed to get it, get it written down. And, and I was especially concerned because uh, now that I'm old, there's this strange false teaching going on. Uh, they call it Gnosticism. Now, the people who were Gnostics didn't call themselves Gnostics, but whether they called themselves Gnostics or not, they were, they were Gnostics. And what a, what a confused group of people the Gnostics were. And, and, and some of them were, weren't Christians, and some of them were Christians, and they were blending their Gnosticism in with following Christ. And, a lot of people were getting really, really confused. So, so I took time to get it written down here in my, my small book because I don't want Christians to be confused. I know the truth. I, I heard it with my own ears. I know what's true. So I wrote it down for everybody. The Gnostics were a really, really confused group of people. They, uh, they emphasized personal revelation. They believed that uh, as they studied and they pondered things, they would learn things that everybody else didn't know. And they elevated what they were getting revelation about above the truth. They rejected what all the other apostles who are gone now wrote and said and taught. They, they rejected the stuff I was teaching. They were rejecting the truth. They were, they were, you see, smarter than us. They, they knew things, at least this is what they said, that the rest of us didn't know. They were kind of super spiritual and to just be plain in my communication, they were really a pain in the butt. They just believed that they didn't have to listen to anybody because they had personal revelation. They were Gnostics, Gnostics to know. They knew things and they were building uh, their Christianity on things that they knew and nobody could challenge them because they knew it because they had received the personal revelation. They didn't believe that God was the creator. You see, they rejected the creator God we understood from, from uh, the Torah, from reading the Old Testament scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heaven. And they rejected all of that. They said, no, 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 no. God couldn't have done that because look at all of the evil around. And, 
and God is good, and God wouldn't have made all that evil, so they rejected God as the creator, and they, they invented a new God, and they said that new God had, had allowed this mini-God, Jehovah God, or whoever they believed the God was to do the work for them, but it wasn't the true God who created the world, and they had this strange dualism about them that that every one of us was spirit and soul, and and you know wherever there's error, there's some truth, and and they believed that some of them were so spiritual they could do whatever they want because they didn't have a soul; it was just their spirit, and because uh, they were just spirit, whatever they were doing was right because the spirit is right, the spirit is godly, the spirit is righteous, and they were sinning all over the place, but it wasn't sin because they were spiritual, and spiritual people can't sin. And then there were lesser Gnostics who the spiritual people still said uh, were, still had their souls in play, and if they did what they did, uh, they were wrong because it was their soul doing it. They were just wacky. I, 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 got, a, I got an article here that, that one of them wrote. Let me, let me get my glasses on here to, so I can read it to you, so you'll, you'll know how, how mixed up these, these people are. Let me read it to you. When you make the two one and you make the inside like the outside and the outside like the inside and when you make the male and female one and the same so that the male, male not be male nor the female female and when you fashion eyes in the place of an eye and a hand in the place of a hand and a foot in the place of a foot and a likeness in the place of a likeness then you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. That's revelation knowledge. I call it wacky. I didn't understand a thing they wrote. But it was creeping into the church. So I wrote this little book. This little book that they call First John. I like that. It's so minimalistic. First John. I love the name too. First John. What a great sound. First John. Small book. Big ideas in it. And 31 times in this book, I bring clarity to what we're supposed to know, what we're supposed to believe. I use that word know 31 times in my, my small book with big ideas. And, and next week, I, I hear your pastor and the pastoral team is going to begin to take you for, through a study in, in 1 John. Small book, big ideas. And I just encourage you to come out. I encourage you to read it before next weekend. And I encourage you to become a part of a neighborhood group and get together and discuss this small book that is full of big ideas. You see, my heart craves. I'm old now. I'm old now. My heart craves that you not get all mixed up, that you not be wacky like the Gnostics. Let's learn from my little, little book, First John. Even the Apostle John has told us to join a group. Um, so just saying, Jesus was in a small group. <laughs> 
Life change happens in small groups, and it's how the early church began. Uh, we are created to be in community with one another. From the beginning, the very beginning, even as Adam was in perfect communion with God in the beginning, God chose to give humanity the gift of relationship and community. It's important. It's a gift. If someone was to ask you today or tomorrow what it means to be a Christian, how would you respond? Would you say it's having faith or belief in Jesus' death and resurrection? Okay. A recognition of your sin and a need for a savior? Yes. Maybe you'd say it's a personal relationship with Jesus. Each of these statements are true and they are essential to our faith, but we often miss one really important element. And that's community. That's people. You see, following Jesus is like a group project. You see, the world has this reputation for this rugged, I can do everything on my own individualism. And far too often we view our faith as individual and as private. And we believe things like, all I need is Jesus and my Bible. Our self-sufficient approach to life would have been quite foreign to the Bible's original authors and audience. It would just not have been how they were living. Their identity, both in Old Testament and New Testament people of God, involved collective interdependence. From cover to cover, God's constant refrain is, I will be your God and you will be my people. God created his people not just for relationship with him, but for relationship with one another. And people are meant to function as Christ's own body on this earth, each and every one of us having an important part to play. So as the neighborhood church, our mission, many of you have heard, is helping people find and follow Jesus. And I'm sure most of you either know it or you will agree with it, or, or you may not, wouldn't be here, right? Well, the leadership here believes that the neighborhood groups are important to that mission of our church. The groups exist as a way for people to engage in a biblical community that helps us become more like Jesus in every area of our lives. God never intended us to do this alone. Remember I said, following Jesus is a group project. We have parts and roles to play. You are important to the health of this church, you. You are important to the unity of this church body, you. Every one of us has a part to play and God calls us to love, not in this abstract or artificial way, but in this deep face-to-face, life-on-life, live-in-life-together, transformative way. And in our modern culture, often groups here are viewed merely as a program, right? Or a chance for, for fellowship within the church. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. But for the New Testament church, this was actually the way of their life. Encompassing every single area of their lives. Their relationship with one another was crucial in the pursuit of Jesus. 
their growth in Christ, and their witness to the good news. Now, relational structures like the neighborhood group are a vital part of being the church and not just doing church. You need to hear that. We don't do all this just to do church. We need to be the church. We hear that at the end of every service. So ultimately, groups are a way of living out our purpose in different ways, both as individual and as collective believers, to be this church, to be the church. We share these common foundations in faith. We come together, we meet, and God's called us to live out these implications of our faith in relation to community, in the context here that we're going to call the neighborhood groups. So yes, is it important to come on Saturday night? Yeah. Sunday morning? Sure. But our faith was never meant to be confined to this building and to a worship service. It's just not how it was designed. Neighborhood groups help us apply what we learn in our services to our relationships, whether it's with a roommate, a spouse, our kids. They help uh, see what we should be doing in our offices, in our homes, in our classrooms, things that are important to him. Groups create an active learning environment if you're someone who likes to learn and to dig into the word, where you can bring questions and thoughts and, and learn from each other. They're places that we join together and serve in ways that are far more powerful than what we can possibly do alone. So you need somebody. And somebody needs you. Community is real and it's, it's raw and it matters. Like, it really matters. It's people who draw close enough to see what's below the surface, that good, the bad, and the ugly. It's, it's not about people getting up in your business. That's not what it's about. It's about people loving you through your worst moments and walking beside you side by side on your best moments. That's community. And that's what church is all about, the relationships, the supportive community, the people. Now, this might feel like a massive step for you, possibly intimidating, maybe even terrifying, to be honest, or maybe something that you've never really realized that you needed. But we really want you to try out a group if you haven't yet. Show up and let people in and watch God transform your life in new ways that, that you never even knew you needed. And Pastor John has said, the leadership has said, if you only have time for one thing every week, one thing, we want you to make it a group, not this service. It's a bold statement. If there's one thing, you have one, time for one thing every single week, it's a neighborhood group. That's what we're asking you to do. This is the place where you will grow and contribute the most to our church. Even if you're not leading and you're just showing up, the most growth in you and the most you will contribute to this church body will be in those neighborhood groups. All of us have a next step. Every single one of us sitting in this room. Okay? And let's take this step together. Let's all step up and join a group. Right? All of us can be in one. Even your kids, right? We've got kids club on Wednesday nights and, and youth on Thursday. And even the young adults have groups on Thursdays. Like, there's so many options. 
Uh, you're going to see them in the seat pockets. There's a good chance there's some sitting in the seat pockets. If not, you can come out to information or the Next Step booth um, if you want to take a look at the options. There are people who are doing groups on Zoom at lunchtime. Like, what a great idea. Maybe you cannot fit things in, but on your lunch break at 12 o'clock, hoping that that's what time your lunch break is, you want to go in for a 45-minute to an hour Zoom call. Maybe you sometimes attend on Sunday. Well, we have a group before service even begins. We have evening groups, Zoom groups, meeting groups, groups that are hybriding, like they're doing Zoom and they're doing in-person. We have so many options, men, women. And if there isn't one that interests you, maybe you should start one. So many things. So I challenge you that with today. So as you leave here, you can fill out your Connect card. If you have more questions and you're not sure what to commit, you can look at that card today and circle the one you want and bring it out to Pastor Jordan or myself at the next step. Come talk to us if you have questions. But let's all get into a group. Every single one of us. Right? Every single one of us. And we will grow. It will be amazing. We will grow spiritually. The church will grow. The kingdom will be shared. It will be, it will be amazing. I promise you. So, when we leave here, are we going to join a group? <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Ethan. <laughs> so I'm going to dismiss you from here. But like I said, stick, you can go to the Next Step booth. That's where Pastor Jordan will be or myself. We can help you. If you're a new attender today, I can explain all what we're talking about today because today was a little bit of a different service. Uh, maybe you weren't understanding what was going on with Apostle John on the screen. Just come and ask me and I'll fill you in. Um, if you are brand new, just stick around for three or four services. We tend to be a little different from week to week. So give us a little bit of taste. So I'm just going to bless you straight out of scripture. And I'm going to say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you as you walk out of here today. God bless you. You have had church. Now let's go and be the church.